0: Sales Tuners, episode 58. Andy Paul, growth coach at Zero
1: Time Selling. What are the two or three really great questions that you could ask them to really spur a conversation relative to the solution that you're providing and the value that it provides to the customer?
0: This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from, from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step
1: up in the building, everybody's hands go up.
0: It's time. It's time. It's Sales Sooners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from George Bernard Shaw, who said, life isn't about finding yourself. Life is about creating yourself. My guest today is Andy Paul, growth coach to entrepreneurs and sales leaders at Zero Time Selling. If you're listening to this show, you've likely heard or read his work other places. He spent the last three decades as a sales leader, author, consultant, and podcaster. His success has come from being different, thinking different, and, well, selling different. I first came in contact with Andy through his top-rated podcast on sales called Accelerate, and then proceeded to highlight many passages in both of his books, Zero Time Selling and Amp Up Your Sales. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A N D C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 58. But now, let's get to the conversation where Andy talks about how he's constantly
1: reinventing himself every five to six years. It's funny. I look back to my career. I've done this a lot recently. Is, is sort of People talk to me. to ask me this question. It's you know, I've constantly reinvented myself throughout my career. And there's books that talk about the need to reinvent yourself and what that cycle needs to be. But I've found it sort of a Maybe on average, maybe you know every five years or so, a yeah you know, somewhat significant reinvention of what I was doing and sales being the common theme for the most part. But in terms of what what my business was or what I was selling at that particular time, whether I took on something more complex than I've been doing before, or in a completely different different field even than I was doing before. So it's having that curiosity to want to take on new challenges, which I continues to today. I mean, I, you talk about podcast. I mean, I just started that. Couple of years ago, I mean, I I, <laughs> I didn't know anything about it before I got started, and you know, 600 episodes later, here we are.
0: Yeah, we're going to talk a lot about that today. That 600 episodes, those two books, all the success you've had over those last three decades, as you mentioned. I want to really get the insights out of uh, everything that you've done, every single one of these conversations you've had. But but I want to go a couple places first. So talk to me about zero time selling. Uh, what is that, and and why does a typical customer buy
1: from you today, Andy? Well, I mean, zero time selling. Was the name of my first book and it's the name of my company? The idea was that that when I started my consulting company back in the year 2000, it was to try to bring to non-tech companies, this you know small and mid-sized businesses or you know again not in the mainstream tech business, some of the sales practices that that I had used and I had developed working for you know venture-funded companies that. Oftentimes there were a good stretch of my career there, where we were selling extremely large, expensive communication systems, competing against big brand name companies, and yet we were winning a lot of business. And I thought, well, hey, there's a way to sort of say, okay, what I do to win this business against these big brand names, and I had no track record or anything. How did I establish trust with the customers? How did we move things along more quickly? How did we change the shape of the playing field to be to our advantage versus the competitors? And said, yeah, let's bring that forward to to other companies. And it's sort of that was the genesis then of ultimately what became the book of Zero Time Selling, which is sort of putting down on paper what some of those practices are that I thought were really important. Just sort of fundamentals, right? Not advanced selling techniques, but just, I believe, more than anything else, that if you master the fundamentals, then everything else is going to somewhat fall into place. But if you don't have those fundamentals, then you can be trying as many advanced methodologies and techniques as you want it's not really going to help you. I always wanted to find and try to qualify entrepreneurs or CEOs who, when I walked into their office, they had a stack of books that was part of their reading list. If I saw that, I said, yeah, this is someone I can really work with. And we tended to bond over that because I have my own stack of books all the time that I'm, that I'm reading. And so I think that it's that you know mutual curiosity, I guess you'd call it, that sort of creates a spark between myself and, and a CEO that says, yeah, we, we can do something together here. We're
0: in a very similar business. I do a lot of sales training and consulting uh, myself, and I have prospects or or clients or just even friends ask me the same thing. Like, well, don't you help people like get better? I'm like, yeah, I do. But the last thing I want to do is work with a company that's about to go out of business, right? Like I'm not, I'm not in the business of trying to save people. Like I want to help them get better and level up. And so I like that idea of looking for the stack of books uh, on their desk. It's funny. I had a tweet uh, not too long ago that that said, I have finally come to the realization that I will never read every book that I want to read in life because the list just keeps getting bigger and my time keeps getting shorter and shorter and shorter.
1: Yeah, it is a problem.
0: Yeah, you've talked a lot about this reinventing yourself, and I like it. You said it's kind of like six to seven year cycles. But before we go too much into today, let's go way back. You haven't always been the
1: person that you are today. How did you actually get into sales? Sort of started looking after I graduated. And and at that time, the big computer companies, primarily IBM, Burroughs, and others like that, had these incredible training programs. And they they spent a lot of time on college campuses recruiting people to come into these. Like it was funny, they were sales programs, what they called a marketing manager training, because you know, even back then no one wanted to be in sales, quote unquote. But that's what you did. But it was a very structured program. And it was an you know, incredible experience for for those of us who got in before those companies stopped doing that type of thing. So it was my first job selling mini computers and and small mainframes.
0: Now, you went to Stanford. I, I, I got to better understand this. How to, in the world does Stanford equate to wanting to get into sales? I had never heard anybody go to Stanford with the intention of getting into sales.
1: Among my, my peers, graduating from Stanford, yeah. I, I think I was the only one, well, no. I think I knew two others that went to Burroughs at the same time and maybe a couple that went to IBM, but it was, it was pretty rare. I'd sort of gotten the, the sales bug because my senior year in college, I had been. A producer for a big student-run theater company on campus, and I had to go out and sell ads for the program. So that was my first, well, sort of second sales experience. My first sales experience, real sales experience, when I was in high school, is I sold women's shoes at J.C.
0: Now, but I think this Stanford degree gave you some challenges getting this that first sales job, right?
1: The hiring manager at the office where I of Burroughs, where I started with Burroughs, a big, I said at that time, the second largest computer company in the world, but Given that at that time IBM had eighty percent of the market share, <laughs> it wasn't saying too much, but you know, it was a multi-billion dollar company. But the branch manager had never hired somebody from Stanford. He always hired schools that offered an undergraduate business degree. But actually it was sort of interesting. He didn't push back. I had a I've told this once, and hopefully people haven't heard it before, but you had a really interesting hiring experience at Burroughs, because uh, I went to go for my interview at this office, and this was in Oakland, California. And the guy I was interviewing with named Ray sort of comes out into the lobby and doesn't really say much, just sort of shakes my hand. Hi, I'm Ray, and you know, points points for me to follow him. And I go into this conference room and he sits on one side of the conference table and I sit on the other and he opens up his his notebook. Now the job was selling, ultimately it was gonna be selling mini computers with basically accounting applications, ERP type applications, to small and mid-sized businesses. So we had to know accounting, and I'd taken accounting at school and done reasonably well in it, Bs. And but the first question out of his mouth wasn't, "Hey, how you doing?" or anything like that. First words out of his mouth were an accounting question, and I froze. My first thought was, "Okay, how am I going to explain to my parents that, that I failed so miserably at my first uh, my first job interview?" But after I served what seemed like forever, but I'm sure it wasn't that long, I, I turned to him. I said, "You know." Actually I, I know the answer to that question. I took accounting. You have my transcript sitting right in front of you. You know I took accounting. But I I apologize, I just can't call the answer to mind. Do you mind if I you know research it tonight and I'll call you back tomorrow with the answer? I just don't wanna you know BS you. And with that, Ray was interviewing me, closes his notebook without a word, gets up, walks out of the room. Interesting. <laughs> and I'm like, Oh shoot, what what happened now? It's like one of the things I literally think I had my forehead resting on the table. And I don't know, about some number of minutes later, maybe it's five minutes, ten minutes, or whatever, Brian, the big boss of the office, the one that had never hired somebody from, from Stanford, walks in and says, uh, hi, I'm Brian. I said, hey, he goes, I was just talking to Ray. He says he wants to hire you. <laughs> and that, that was my interview.
0: So the fact that you didn't try to BS him is the reason why he like to- totally leaned into it. It's like, yep, this is my guy. That's my guy. I like it. You talked, Andy, about the big companies at this time, computer companies, IBM, Burroughs, et cetera. They had sales training programs. And you also mentioned they've also since gotten away from them. That's something that I definitely noticed as well. I spent some time at Oracle, and it was the first time that I saw internally like what they do to invest in the teams. Why doesn't that happen as much
1: anymore or as often? A couple of reasons, I think. One is you know, if you look at you know, some of those mainstream companies are, are not the same companies they were before. And so a lot of that sort of real entry-level selling has sort of devolved down into, like in the tech business, to SaaS companies and so on who are you know, trying to run at the speed of, of light to grow and you know, have adopted these sales models that churn and burn type strategy for their entry-level salespeople that really aren't geared toward developing career salespeople.
0: I get that—that that it's not about developing career salespeople, but I still feel like, you know, you mentioned the burn and churn, but the amount of time, energy, effort wasted, leads, wasted opportunities that we are putting into these companies just seems to be a—we could we could prevent it, or we could at least try to. Fix it if you will. And I, I don't know, It's just it's just interesting well, that we agree. don't do that. I, yeah.
1: I, well, I agree. And I, that's part of what, you know, trying to do with in the partnership with, with Jocko and mentoring and coaching these VPs of sales is to make sure they really understand the human aspect of, of selling, not just from the relationship they build with a prospect, but also in terms of building and mentoring and coaching a team of people, of other human beings. And I think that sort of gets short shrift as well. So that's you know, part of what we're trying to do is is do some culture change to some degree about that and you know help these young people that have this you know pretty weighty responsibility help them become more successful because success in the long run is is not just about your process it's about the people and again i think that gets short shrift too often in too much of our selling these days and it's you know it's still a people business
0: so it definitely is a people business and speaking of people you have talked to over 600 people uh, on your podcast over the last uh, several years what would be like the top 3 insights that
1: you've had number 1 insight is is we're not getting better or more effective or more productive you know, despite all the technology that's flowing into sales and marketing to help sales you know, we're not becoming more more productive as saying we as a sales sales community if you will and that's a problem i think and i think that that's, that is also the opportunity right is is how do we How do we address that? Because right now so much of of selling is just based on sheer quantity of activities as opposed to quality of activities and quality of different types of activities that, that will help the customer actually get the information they need to make a good decision more quickly. And that that ultimately should be the goal of of every interaction you have with with a prospect. And it's not, right? I mean it's and so that I think there's that's I think a huge opportunity for for culture change. But it, it hasn't really hasn't really changed. And it's that's a problem. So I think that's one insight. The other is that...
0: Well, so hold on. Let me, let's unpack that a little bit. So what do you sure. mean it's not really a priority anymore? So for me, it seems like a lot of buyers today, they have access to Google. They're finding all the information they need there, or at least all the information they think they need. And once they get on the call with the salesperson, they really don't want to talk to the salesperson. So it's hard to to have that balance. So unpack that for me a little bit.
1: Well, actually, I, th- I think that prospects do want to talk to salespeople. They just want to talk to a good salesperson. Ah. And, and I think that's the, the thing that people oftentimes miss. They say, oh, you know, woe is us as salespeople. I don't get any respect. No one likes salespeople. I really don't think that's the case. I mean, if you look, if you've run a business or you've been in a position to make purchasing decisions and so on, if you look at the big decisions you've made, Chances are you have some level of affinity for that person that was the the salesperson you're dealing with. And so it's not that you dislike them. It's just that the experience is generally so poor that you assume everybody's going to be that way, right? It's a bias that the the buyers have. and And on the same side from the selling side, we have biases as well about the buyers that we that we're dealing with which impacts, right, the relationship each direction. yeah. You know, we're just, and I, say, I think one of the issues is, and, and especially in certain segments, I said tech is, a, I think, a prime offender of this, is that it's so geared to the metrics that I think this, I think they oftentimes forget that there's a person on the other side. And, and how we talk to people influences how they talk to us. There's a, a great book out there uh, written called Blind Spot that talks about sort of our hidden biases that we have and these biases, we all have them, as these researchers found out, they've studied well, more than a million people have taken this test they have that quantifies to some degree biases. And you know, it affects how we receive information, how we communicate information. And so if we're so focused on, okay, I gotta make 50 dials today and I gotta send, you know, twenty-five emails, we have to have five conversations. Well, what's the end result of that is you know, you look at the numbers, let's say, in the SaaS business. In an absolute sense, the close rates, let's say of qualified prospects in the pipeline to close, they're really small. They're really low. When I was selling, I could never survive on a 20% close rate. That's right. But yet, we've got whole businesses that, that the model is structured around basically doing that. And so, when you have so much in the way of input into this process, well, you, you can't, it's hard to be personal. It's hard to build those relationships. And so, you know, these people are under tremendous pressure the you know SDR is the frontline seller. So that's why I say I think that, that the model has to change and you know it's getting back to the human element of selling that's really going to be important. And perhaps even more important as we get even more technology into the space as AI and other things come into into sales inevitably. On in one hand, the help hopefully take on some of the responsibilities, some of the really repetitive tasks that salespeople have, that'd be great free them up to spend more time with customers. Well, if you're freed up to spend more time with customers, then you have to learn how to be sort of optimally human to take advantage of that.
0: How to be optimally human. I like that a lot. Uh, And you mentioned Blindspot again, you and I talked about a month or so ago, I was actually uh, on your podcast and you mentioned Mm -hmm. it at that time. I'm about halfway through it. This is a fantastic book, by the way, highly recommend everyone. I have not taken the test yet, but just learning how to see through the biases that you already have that you probably don't know you have. That's what's Mm -hmm. been just totally enlightening to me. So uh, I definitely appreciate hearing about that book again. All right. So that's it, you know, for number one, what else you got?
1: There's this tendency to think that sales is harder today than it was in the past. And I've had, you know, sort of some online back and forth with people about this. And I think that's completely wrong. Sales is just hard. Right. It's not easier, it's not harder, it's just hard. And we're making it a little more difficult in to some degree in that you know there's there's all this information flowing at the sales reps. Right. It's you know, it's they have to learn all these new tools and and they have to make sure they're updating all their systems and and you know, they may have Seven tools in a sales stack they have to have to use, and maybe they've got five they're doing sort of surreptitiously on their own that they're using, which is oftentimes the case, and and all these reporting requirements, and it's just you know marketing sending overwhelming them with you know hey here's content for your prospects. I think that is a problem, and I think that that's again we look at it and we say okay we have all this content and all this technology available, but it's not it's not making us more productive but you have to find a way to sort of cut through that and help people really focus on the task at hand. And I think that's a big challenge.
0: I, I think it is a big challenge. And, and one of the things that I, I think I'm hearing you say is we need to get back to the basics. So while we have all of this technology and all of these new uh, systems, and as you said, marketing, giving content to the salespeople, one of the things we're not doing, and it kind of goes back to one of the original conversations we were having here is, we're not teaching people the basics of sales, right? Like get rid of all that kind of stuff. How do you go out and actually have a human to human conversation with another person to be able to discover whether or not you should sell anything to them. We're kind of bringing these young green reps into an environment, teaching them the features and benefits and kind of wishing them well. Right. And not only that, you know, they're, especially if we're talking about just out of uh, school. So they have all the you know biz- business school maybe that they just got, but they don't really have the business acumen or they don't have any sales experience. Now they took their first job. They get taught about their product. And all of a sudden, there's 10 systems stacked up in front of them that they have to use. Salesforce and Mm SalesLoft and this and that. And it's like, hold up, wait. And then marketing starts loading
1: all the information you said. It's like, I have no idea even where to begin. So what I've done over the last year, and partly in reaction to this, is I've come up with an acronym that to me is about four steps. If you can master these four Things. These four—it's not really steps, but I'll call them steps. Four elements of selling. Only four. If you can master these, you can succeed at anything you want to do in sales, and and to some degree in life. And so, yeah, you know, this is talking about distilled wisdom, right? This is what's sort of what you're looking for. Mm-hmm. Is. And so, the acronym is BALD. B-I-L-D. I call it the Bald Truth about Selling. And so, the B stands for you have to be human. Hmm. The A is ask killer questions. L, listen without filters. D, deliver value at every touch. And so what this, what this requires, you know success in sales requires a certain amount of intentionality, if that's a word, right? You have, to, you have to be deliberate. You have to be thoughtful about everything you do. And it's not acting on autopilot, not acting robotically. And so yeah, you know, if you can just master these four things, be human. Show yeah, you know, when you talk to a prospect, be focused on them. Show some demonstrate some empathy, right? That that you can sort of have some under degree of understanding of what their position is and what they're going through. I did a training for a company recently and they said, Well, you know, what do you do when someone asks you the question? So tell me what you do. We have to pitch. I said, No, you don't have to pitch. Ask them a question. Well, before I get into that, mm-hmm. let me understand. let me understand. What you know, what are your challenges today? Right? I mean, just turn the tables. And then start having the conversations based on how many questions you, not really how many, but what are the great quality questions that you can ask to, to, drive, the, to drive the conversation forward?
0: Well, let me ask that because I've heard other people say that, right? You got to ask great questions. You gotta, you, and you said killer questions, but you got to ask great questions. Well, that's all
1: fine and good. But how do I come up with what a great question is? So I think there's, there's two types to sort of think about. One is, hey, I'm just getting to know you type questions, right? That's just, that's sort of being human. Right, I'm I'm interested in learning something about you personally, and and there's this whole wrong-headed school of thought that says buyers don't have time for small talk. Yeah, we just got to jump right into it, and that's yeah, it's just BS. Mm-hmm. They're people, they're humans, they don't have endless amount of time for it. And if you're clumsy and inauthentic in it, then yeah, they don't have time for it. You know, if the only thing you're doing is looking at a picture on their desk and say, Oh, your daughter plays soccer, yeah, that's not really gonna do it one of my early interviews on the show, somewhere in the first 50 or so, was with Mark Roberts, who wrote the book, The Sales Acceleration Formula, and had been early VP of sales at, at HubSpot. And he talked about what he does to practice the this, this skill of being able just to ask human questions of someone. And he goes to social events. And I've started doing this too <laughs> since I talked to him. But he goes to social events or networking events and he gets introduced to somebody that looks interesting. He'll say, okay, well, how, how long can I go Asking them questions and learning about them before I need to say or I have to say something about myself. Hmm. That's a great way to practice. We all in those situations all the time. Is yeah, you know, learn how to demonstrate an interest in the other person before you, you know, get so anxious to say, oh, I just I can't hold it back anymore. I got to talk about my problem.
0: Yeah, I got well, I got to talk about me. It's got to be yeah. about me,
1: which is the same thing as talking about me, right? So. You know, there's that type of question. Then the second level question is, you know, the ones about their business. Too often, you know, I work with a sales organization and I'll hear them say, well, yeah, we sort of understand that, but we don't know what to ask, just as you said. Well, those are those are corporate assets, right? Arm your people, train your people. Come up with these questions, you who are more experienced, the sales leaders or the more senior sales types or the marketing types. You know, what are the two or three really great questions that you could ask them to really spur a conversation relative to the solution that you're providing, and the value that it provides to the customer. So don't just send people out empty-handed. Give them questions, and it's not, yeah, we see this more and more that you know content systems are are talking about this, but they got to be real, they got to be serious questions, right? It's not just uh, you know features benefits type questions, but simple scenarios. You know, one I like is you know sort of typical gap analysis. You know, where do you want to be in 18 months? Where are you today? What's holding you back from getting to where you want to be? that's a great way to, to start a conversation that's going to be a little bit different than, so tell me about your requirements, right? Or, you mm-hmm. know, how are you, how are you doing this today? That's sort of focused just on your product It's you know, start bigger.
0: It's funny. Like as you, I'll, I'll echo that. Like one of the things you just said there is, is been one of my favorite questions for a long time is, Hey, let's go ahead and fast forward 12 months from now. And you've achieved Nirvana. You are exactly where you want to be describe that. What would that even mm-hmm. look like? What would you do? Mm-hmm. What would you be uh, feeling? What would your team think and all that? And uh, I have a client right now who actually has taken that question and moved it all the way to the beginning and uh, through some trial and error has realized it's probably not the be- the way the way I phrase that, probably not the best to ask it the- as the very first question because it just opens up way too many threads that it's hard for you to navigate down which ones you want to go through. But you're right. That's just an amazing question to be able to truly align yourself with someone.
1: It's just an example, though, right? But yeah, if they're more sure. complex issues, I mean, Brent Adamson, who yeah you know, was one of the authors of the Challenger Sale and Challenger Customer, uh, talks about, you know, a question that that they think is a great type of question, which I agree, hundred percent, to ask, which is, you know, you ask the customer something about their business that they should know the answer to, but don't. Mm-hmm. And well, you can't expect every salesperson individually in the field to come up with those. Yeah, that's do that collectively. You yeah, use the wisdom and the experience of the organization to help arm your sales reps with those questions. And then teach them about, you know, good listening skills. Right? Because if you ask that type of question, there's no real good scripted follow-on because you don't know what the answer is going to be. So, what are the good follow-on questions for that? You know, to get the customer to keep talking, you know, something like, "Well, interesting. Well, what else can you tell me about that?" Or, you know, that's hey, that's that's really interesting. You know, tell me more about that. Too, I, I mean, I rarely hear sales reps use that. I mean, I listen to recorded phone calls, and we're so intent on following that script that we don't say, I can, yeah, I can break away with the safety of the script, you know, the comfort zone of the script, and ask a question where I don't know where it's going to go.
0: I think that is the hard part though, especially for, you know, newer reps. And no, I'm not even going to lie. Even for some of my seasons reps that I work with is you kind of get this list of questions that has been vetted by the sales leadership. It's been vetted even by marketing and things like that. Like, these are the questions we need to get, but just because it's a list of content, right? And that's what I'm not even calling it questions. It's a list of content doesn't mean you have to robotically ask one after the other, after the other, right? Like you, yes, it's the content, but unless you have the context behind it, you're going to fall flat on the entire thing that it's just going to blow up the, your process.
1: Well, and I think one of the things that's, that's hard for sell sellers to admit is that they don't know something. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, I come back to my that story about my interview is, is, I think that's one of the things throughout my career that held me in good stead. Is if I'm sitting in front of a customer, and there's something I don't know. I don't say oh, I must be the I act like the expert. And I have to know the answer. To this is like I'll ask. Oh, <laughs> so what does that mean? Well, you know, when go, you say X Y Z, that's as right, as opposed but- to saying, Oh yeah, X, X, y, Z, I get it. No, just and I think that's too often what happens is, is you know people are embarrassed or fearful of of looking. Bad in front of, if you will, quote unquote bad. Whatever that means in front of the prospects, or and it's like, no, no, that's how you. That's how you build a relationship. That's how they see that you're an authentic person. That's how they see that you're, you know, somebody they could kind of have like a trust, you that's know, as, a, as an advisor because you're admitting what you don't know.
0: Well, that's exactly where I was going to go. It's like it goes back to one of your first points is that's what humanizes you. They get to see you as someone's like, oh, okay, they're just like me. They don't know the answer to everything. Some things they're going to have to go back uh, and take a look at. So uh, Andy, so you, you've given me some amazing stuff here. Uh, the, the bullet points that we've called out, you said, you know, we're not getting any better with the technology. We're not becoming more productive. Uh, you talked about it's not, you know, it is complex out there. You gave us the master four elements, the, uh, the bald truth. I love that. Anything else that we need to be thinking about?
1: If you want to succeed in sales, it's, it's a thinking person's game. And that's just how you have to perceive it. So everything you do is a result of deliberate intent and action. So you know, every time you're going to talk with a prospect, what's the value you're going to add? They're giving you some other time. What value are you giving them in return? And what value are you giving them that's going to help them move closer to making a decision? And if you don't know the answer to that question before you start the call, then you shouldn't be having the call because it's only going to hurt you. So, you know, to me, it's sales is about being very purposeful, being very deliberate, understanding what needs to occur at every step of the way and having a plan for it. You know, it's not like sit down for 20 minutes to plan a phone call. It's like, okay, I'm going to be getting on the phone with this prospect. What is it that I need to communicate to them in this call other than just checking in, right? What What do I need to communicate to them and Will this help them in any way in their process of making a decision? And if it doesn't, then why have the call? They're not sitting there waiting around for you to call. You can take so much crap out of your process by just being more deliberate and build credibility and trust with the buyer in the process because they're going to say, look, every time I hear from Jim, there's something in there for me.
0: I love it. Have a plan before going into the call. Andy, that's a great place, I think, for us to take a quick break. So I'm going to do that so that we can thank our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales tuners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. PipeDrive is the sales CRM built by salespeople for salespeople. I love it because it allows me to visualize my pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ensuring I don't drop the important activities and conversations needed. And the managers I work with love it because it's simple and they don't have to nag their team to actually use it. But SalesSooner's don't just take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself for free for 30 days at SalesTooners.com slash Pipedrive. We're back and it's time for the money round. Andy, are you ready for the money round? Uh, we'll find out. I think so. <laughs> Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional?
1: Uh, being normal, I, I hope, is part of it. But... Um... <sighs> Yeah, you know, we've talked a little bit about this. It's just really wanting to learn, being curious at all times, and and never stopping. And I, and I just, even as as ancient as I am today, it's I'm still. There's so many things I want to learn and and do. That I think that's really that's the key.
0: If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next thirty days doing?
1: Probably going out and making calls. Yeah, you know, I think one of the most valuable experiences I had is is. When I joined Burroughs, showed up first day at work, yeah, basically they showed me where the restrooms were and so on. But then, even before I'd ever <laughs> learned the product or anything, this was like, go make calls. <laughs> and it was terrifying, and I'm sure I was a disaster. Well, I know I was a disaster at it. Two-part question for you here, Andy. Which phrase describes you best and why,
0: I love to win or I hate to lose?
1: I hate to lose. And yeah, I, I I love to win. Hey, that's that's sort of aspirational. That's great. That's to me, that's motherhood and apple pie and so on. But I hate to lose. Yeah, that's that's. I'm going to compete. I'm going to scratch. I'm going to claw. I'm going to dig. I'm going to persist. I'm going to be resilient. And we're going to find a way to win. And so I've actually used a sort of a uh, you know a campaign slogan for various times with companies where I manage teams are actually when I was working with clients, is saying, look, we are just going to refuse to lose.
0: I think you've already mentioned uh, three books on the show today, and I've mentioned your two, but what's a book that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others?
1: One of my favorite things I I read off and on, and I have probably over the last 25, 30 years since I really started getting into it, was, is uh, Shakespeare. And so I, on my, my Kindle, my iPad, I've got Shakespeare's collected works, and I've read you know, a number of scholarly books about Shakespeare. I just find it fascinating that this one person writing at that time had such a huge impact on on how we really even how we perceive our personalities and our character and life and so on. So much flows from Shakespeare. I know there's one book that was written about. You know, it's called Shakespeare and the Invention of the Human. Very scholarly work. It says basically credits saying Shakespeare is responsible for so much of the way that we perceive them interact with the world around
0: us. Sales Tuners, if you'd like to check out Andy's suggestion of any of the Shakespeare's works or any of the other books that have been mentioned on today's show for free, head on over to com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30-day trial of Audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's com slash book. Andy, what's currently at the top of your bucket list?
1: Living a long life. Um, <laughs> I say it's not facetiously, but but you know, chronologically, I have, I have peers who are retiring and I can't even envision that because there's just so much I want to do and, and so much I feel I have to share and, and that, yeah, uh, that, you know, I'm looking into the future it's like, gosh, I need to make sure I, that extends as far as it, as it possibly can. So yeah, my bucket list is stay healthy and, and fit and be able to work for a long time.
0: What's the biggest piece of advice that you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? turn off the TV
1: and read a book. I think that's the, the most important thing people could do is turn off the TV, get off social media for an hour a day. You know, what, are you willing to, what are you willing to sacrifice? You know, what are you willing to make, make a habit that has to do with improving yourself, improving your life, um, improving your ability to connect with other people? And I think that, that's what people should, should do is you know, spend an hour a day investing in yourself. In a way, and there was a a great quote that I'd come across just recently. I'll read it to you from my one of my boyhood heroes, uh, Vince Lombardi, and um, he was the you know famous coach of the Green Bay Packers. And I was a Packer fan when I was a, a kid, and and I think as much as a football coach, he's become famous afterwards just because he was such an inspirational figure and in the way he led the teams and and uh, his perspective on life, and so. <laughs> his, his quote, his, his, I really enjoy is, winning is a habit. Watch your thoughts, they become your beliefs. Watch your beliefs, they become your words. Watch your words, they become your actions. Watch your actions, they become your habits. Watch your habits, they become your character. And I think that you know, develop good habits. And develop good habits when it comes to investing in yourself, and you'll see a transformation in yourself.
0: Let me get you out of here on this, Andy. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show today?
1: Great. Well, Jim, thank you very much for having me on the show. First of all, it's been a lot of fun, and uh, sort of follow-up to a fun we had when you were on my show. That's right. Then go to my website, andypaul.com. Uh, they'll see some certainly all the podcast episodes there and uh, blog and so on. Uh, they can connect with me. Just send me an email, at Andy at andy.paul.com. Uh, they can do the old-fashioned thing. They will pick up the phone and call me six one nine nine eight zero four zero zero two. Follow me on Twitter. It's at realandy.paul, and connect with me at LinkedIn as well. And be glad to connect with them. And yeah, let me know if they have any questions about anything we talked about or sales in general. I'd be happy to answer.
0: Andy, this has been so much fun. Thanks for joining me today on the show.
1: Thanks for having me. <laughs>
0: I had huge expectations and excitement for my conversation with Andy, and he certainly didn't disappoint. The distilled insights from over 600 sales conversations on his podcast was apparent, and I struggled limiting myself to just three takeaways, so much so that, well, I had to include a fourth. Number one, be human. There's a myth being perpetuated that buyers don't have time for small talk anymore, and this is just simply not true. Buyers want to connect with you on a human level. They've just had so many bad experiences with sellers that they turn off at the slightest hint of inauthenticity. Number two, ask killer questions. Coming up with two to three anchor questions that spur conversations as it relates to your product or service should be the highest priority in your organization. Yes, even higher than a demo or pitch deck. You have to get a prospect thinking, and that's impossible to do if you are the one talking. The best possible question to ask is one they should know the answer to, but don't. When you ask that question, you've hit pay dirt. Number three, listen without filters. How do you receive information? How do you communicate information? What biases or filters do you have preventing information from getting through? When you're listening to a prospect, are you focused on what they're actually telling you? Or are you looking for a specific response that you can attack? Your ability to show empathy here can get you a long way. Number four, deliver value at every touch. If a prospect is going to give you their time, what value are you going to give them in return? What information is going to help them get closer to a decision? If you don't know the answer to these questions before every call or outreach, why are you even doing it? You need to be intentional and deliberate with your process. If you're not guiding them, then you're just hoping that they see something somewhere along the way. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, Jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. Stay up to date at www.salesTuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. Why do people say, heads up, when you should duck?